This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. And welcome on board. It's another edition of the Danny Mac podcast here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Glad you're with me today. Please spread the word that uh, I am talking football twice a week on this format. And uh, I still do a terrestrial show once a week for my hometown radio station, WJOB in Hammond. But I, I continue to hear from people on Facebook and Twitter. Really miss you during football season. Man, you don't have to. You got me on Bet Rivers. You got me twice a week, Mondays for Bears reaction when they play on Sundays, which is going to be the case for the rest of the season. And then on Thursday mornings to preview the Thursday night game and also get you ready for a Bears weekend matchup and lots on the Bears and Lions to come today, as well as an investment strategy. I am going to help you make some money today. We are going to go through some some odds, odds that change throughout the course of the season on the big awards, most valuable player, defensive player of the year, and uh, of particular interest to me today, we'll discuss comeback player of the year favorites and who might wind up winning that award based on the history of the award, the award, because it's very nondescript. It is it is not an exact science. It is not most productive or or most impressive like the usual awards. It, it's either a combination of having been injured the year before, having played poorly the year before, or one or the other. There have got been guys who've won the comeback player of the year award who had productive seasons or, or were were healthy, I should say, the entire year before but then got back to the form they enjoyed two seasons prior and won the award. But more often than not, it goes to a player who missed significant amount of time the previous year and comes back to being himself or even better. And I've got some terrific candidates who are not right now among the favorites. I also want to talk briefly today before I wrap this one up on how Jimmy Ursay is trying to give Daniel Snyder a run for his money as the most ridiculous member of uh, the rich white guy millionaire club uh, with what he did this week, not just firing Frank Reich, but naming Jeff Saturday his head coach. Want to talk about that a little bit later on. There's uh, Washington Commanders ownership, uh, rumors swirling, John Henry, the Red Sox owner, is is rumored now to be the favorite if 31 other NFL owners get their wish and Snyder is stripped of his ownership 
Um, or they just finally convince the guy to throw his hands in the air and say, yeah, I've had enough. You guys win. Uh, John Henry, the new favorite. I want to talk about that just a little bit with you as well and maybe give you my best player two for the week. Not a good w- week for me last week. Uh, down on the year, a few hundred dollars. I don't play every game. That's been something I've been practicing for uh, And when I say that, I mean, I don't play every game that's on the island. I don't play every Monday and Thursday night games, Sunday night games. You don't have to play those just because it's the only thing in town and you want a rooting interest. I'm trying to stay away from that. I'm not perfect on it, but I do try to practice my Ten Commandments, which you can find if you'll search wherever you get your podcast. I did this back in either late August or early September. Uh, the uh, podcast is slugged, my Ten Commandments of Football Investing. I try not to violate those. I, I'm not perfect. Um, and I let the previous week's outcomes way too often swing where I'm going to go on any given weekend. But uh, I've gotten better at it nonetheless. Uh, looking for a fourth winning season out of the last five. I, I lost just a little bit last year. I think I got almost all of it back on the Super Bowl with some prop bets I hit. But uh, I've had more winning seasons than losing seasons the last four or five years because I'm practicing the Ten Commandments. Let me get to the Bears and this week's stories that have dominated headlines in Chicago. Justin Fields, their second-year quarterback, is named NFC Offensive Player of the Week for his outstanding performance this past Sunday against the Miami Dolphins when he set a single-day rushing record, regular season rushing record for quarterbacks with 178 yards. He became a highlight reel nationally, internationally. Justin Fields awakened a fan base that has been starving for a quarterback who can make a difference since Sid Luckman wore the Bears uniform shortly after World War II. Um, it's It's been a long time coming since Bears fans have had this type of excitement over the offensive side of the ball. Walter Payton did it in a different way, of course. The NFL's all-time leading rusher garnered a ton of love, as he should have. He was a, he was a battler. He's a warrior. He's a great athlete. He was fun to watch. His teams didn't win. But he individually was a great player. But the most important position in sports is the quarterback position on an NFL team. That That is not up for debate. It is the hardest job in the world to be great at. There only are a few guys in the world who are great at it. And even they are capable of shitting the bed, as we've seen this year, in large part in Green Bay, in Tampa, um, some of the best players, including the best player, Tom Brady, who's ever ever worn an NFL uniform, have bad days. But for a Bears fan, this goes beyond just the occasional stumble. This is decades and decades and decades of suffering. While I am not a Bears fan, it, it's impossible for me not to root for change in that regard. I would like to see a more interesting team a fun team that's capable of putting a shitload of points on the board in short order. These bears do that. Justin Fields looks capable of doing that based on his last three performances. However, when public sentiment goes past 
acceptable levels, levels that just create this childlike look at the world and grown men slobber like they were eight or nine-year-old boys and want to put posters of other grown men on their bedroom walls. I want to pull the covers up over my head. I want to hide from a lot of that. And I think all of us, at one time or another, have rooted for an outcome just to hear the reaction of those who have been pushing and crushing a narrative that is way too over the top. And, you know, ask any Packers fan who lives in Chicagoland how much fun Chicago sports talk is on a Monday morning after the Bears play poorly, or even if they win ugly. Packers fans love to hear Bears fans do that. Outcomes often are, we we root for them based on the back end, not necessarily the joy of the moment, but to... To hear people who've gotten under our skins, or in the case of the newspaper era, read columnists whose opinions have gotten under our skin, we want to see how they will react. And my buddy Fitz is this way with the Packers. Uh, My golf pal Fitzy, man, if, if the Bears crap the bed and play poorly in a game they should have won, or if it is dramatically pissed away, He can't wait until the first yacker starts babbling on Monday mornings. I have to admit, I was this way in 0-3 with the Chicago Cubs, and it was easy for me to like that team. Kerry Wood, the right-hander, had been a a frequent contributor on my show since his rookie year with the Cubs in 98. They were an easy team to, to like. Mark Pryor was a good dude. That was a good summer. We had regular contributions from guys who liked being on the radio. It was a fun team to be around. I wasn't around it as much as I was the 98 team that won a wild card, but I liked the 0-3 Cubs. I was rooting for them to dump the Marlins in the National League Championship Series. And then there was Game 6 at Wrigley Field. The Cubs were five outs away from going to their first World Series since 1945. And you know what happened. Steve Bartman interferes with Moises Alou, who cannot make the catch of a foul ball, hit, I think, in Section 4. And Alex Gonzalez lets the ball go between his wickets, between the legs. He five-holed him. And the Cubs lose that game dramatically, and Kerry Wood was awful in Game 7, didn't even get out of the fifth inning. And while Jack McKeon in the Marlins dugout is going with Cy Young winners out of his bullpen starters because it's win or go home for the winter, Dusty was countering with David Veers, a journeyman left-hander. The Cubs lost that game. And I have to admit, when it was unfolding for the Cubs, I was I was looking so much forward to the reaction of, of some of their fans who had just been swinging their pom-poms in my face too vociferously and too cockily. I'm not going to deny it. Harry Tynowitz, with whom I worked for eight years at ESPN 1000, was Central Casting's version of the annoying Cubs fan. If you were to say, all right, we're doing a movie on obnoxious fans in sports. We need a Cubs fan who's always looking at the world through rose color. They send him Harry Tynowitz. When Bartman interfered with Alou, 
when Gonzalez, I couldn't wait to hear what was going to come out of Tyner Woods' mouth the next day. While I was not a Cubs fan, I was a legitimate White Sox fan before I really became a bad White Sox fan in 0-3. I wanted that Cubs team to win, but it didn't matter to me either way. Business was good all summer. They were interesting. We had people listening. There were people listening in October when usually for decades it was, you know, when are the Bears going to training camp in, in baseball season? This wasn't like that. This was a legitimate grab-the-city-by-the-ears team that got everybody's attention. And because it was good for business, it was good for me. So I was enjoying their success from that standpoint. But ultimately, didn't matter. Loved the reaction on the back end after they peed that thing away and was just a colossal choke job in zero three 3 in the postseason. I want the Bears to have a 21st century offense. In my heart of hearts, I'm tired of the same old narratives every year, year after year, decade at coach after coach, GM after GM. It is tired. I think all of us are disgusted by, in a sports disgusted way, When you look at Bears record books, the top 10 all-time quarterbacks, the top 10 all-time receivers, it, it has to be, for a real good Bears fan, it has to be horribly frustrating to see names of yesteryear still on those lists, to see Johnny freaking Morris still atop the list of wide receivers, Harlan Hill yeah, these guys are just past the leather helmet era, and they still have garnered. And when they played, it was a 14-game season, and they didn't throw the ball a lot. There's no excuse for the Bears not to have skilled position players in this era where you play 17 games. Very soon to be knocking down those names, one by MF and one. Get them out of there. Update your franchise with quality players at the most important positions. I'm for that. I'm it just it, it makes it so much more enjoyable to watch when there is excitement. Yes, I can enjoy a terrible football team, but enough fun bad, as Dan Bernstein coined. I believe it was his phrase years ago. Enough of that. I want to see Fields be everything he was expected to be. But on Monday, I had to turn the radio off and shake my head. I am not kidding you. When I caught the transition segment, about seven or eight minutes of it, between the Scores Midday Show and the Scores Afternoon Show, My jaw dropped with what I was hearing from guys, a couple of whom I like, um, and a couple of whom I respect, three of whom I have tremendous amount of regard for their their work. Uh, Bernstein, Parkin, Spiegel, like those guys, rooting for those guys. I can't remember a time when I've heard something more frat house on the score than than what was going to ensue in the four hours once the afternoon show took over. And I know there are young listeners. I know Danny Parkins is trying to get those guys on board. And I can I can promise you his enthusiasm for fields is genuine from the heart. 
but it's not for me. And a studio full of balloons and the celebration of the arrival of QB1. I I know, no, not for me. I don't know if it's for you. Even for a day, I did I didn't I didn't want to hear it go to that level. So I find myself this week in a very weird position. Am I rooting for for those guys who held this victory party on the heels of a 35 to 32 loss to Miami? Am I rooting for those guys to have a big plate full of crow on Monday? I mean, I hate to think that that's where I am at this point in my life, but I'm wondering if I am to be completely truthful with you. Am I rooting for, for the Parkinson's of the world to eat shit on Monday? I, I, I hope I'm not, but if Justin Fields is a human being, and I think he is, those days like he had Sunday are not going to occur all the damn time. And he's going to get back to throwing interceptions soon. He's gotten a lot better. I'm excited about the dude's development, but man, there is a long way to go gang before we start comparing him to Aaron fricking Rogers and some of the greats who've ever played the position and the national trumpets are a blowing too. Boomer Esiason on the CBS highlight package this past weekend, referring to Fields as the bullet train. Yep, here we go, America. Get ready for your newest love affair. It's Justin Fields, the exciting, explosive, big play man behind center for Matt Eberflus, Coach Flus, and the Chicago Bears. I want to be on board with it, man, but when that over-the-top stuff comes raining down, like the frogs in what is it Mulholland Mulholland Drive the frog the raining frogs at the end of that otherwise very very good movie I know it was symbolic it sucked I I just I I, I gotta say I I'm out I'm out and I I think the Bears have a lot to be happy about developmentally I think Chase Claypool not Clay Chase Pool is going to make them a lot better. His impact on the game, when I watched it a second time, Monday afternoon, his impact on the game was much larger than what the stat sheet showed us afterward. He drew a P.I. I'd forgotten about that one when I did my podcast. It was in my notes, but I didn't do it on Monday morning. I, I mocked his two catches for 13 yards, and the Bears fans reacting to his one-yard gain on his first reception. I failed to mention that because the broadcasters noted it and uh, Kevin Harlan and Trent Green, and it was funny, and I, I, I didn't have it. But they're doing things in an exciting manner. I like the running game, and I don't give a damn if it's the quarterback or the running back. I like quarterbacks who can run. I always have. I liked Mike Vick at Vatek. I loved him with the Falcons in the NFL. He's exciting. Randall Cunningham in the late 80s was freaking exciting. Dante Culpepper of the Vikings was a fun player to watch when he was on top of his game. But those guys don't win championships. And that, that recipe is so fragile. When your quarterback is counted on, to rush for 80 yards every week, there are going to be times when you're going to get your ass kicked. And I don't think it is sustainable. I'd love to be proven wrong. I would love to see a quarterback who doesn't throw the ball more than 20 times a game win a Super Bowl. I'm okay with that. 
You got a dual threat guy who doesn't make mistakes, doesn't throw it to the other team, gets third down conversions more often than not with his feet than with his arm. I'm okay with that. I, I I'm all for this team continuing to progress. It, it's exciting, but the the victory laps that were taken Monday were just were just too much. And, and I don't mean to single out Danny and Matt. It was everywhere. I I, I heard a little bit of. Although Spiegel saved the day, by the way, by doing the helium balloon and doing We Are the Lollipop Kids late in the day. But same thing with Kaplan. Same thing with Sylvie. Uh, Just way too over the top. Way, way, way too over the top for me. Slow down, everybody. Yes, it's fun. And I know there haven't been many occasions to throw a victory party over the Bears' offense ever. Not just recently. Hardly ever, unless a rushing title from the 80s or four or five consecutive rushing titles still pumps your nads. It's it's not they've not given us much to be excited about. So I and when a lot of us have been watching this a lot longer than Parksy, too. So uh it's not like he's had a, a lifetime of suffering that even flirts with the level of frustration for a guy who remembers Rudy Bukic or Jack Kincannon. Uh, at L. All right. Um, that's enough said on that. Bears are three point favorites at Bet Rivers over the Lions. I'm going to, I'll probably play the Bears. <laughs> I, the Lions, uh, man, the Lions should have been blown out of the stadium against the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is the reason the Packers lost this past week. And Dan Campbell is a boob. I'd uh, I'd like to see him do well, but I, I don't think they're they're any good. Their coaches might have made for great great quotes on Hard Knocks back in the summer on HBO. Aaron Glenn, the fiery defensive coordinator, that team sucks. That team can't score. It, it, it did initially for three or four weeks. They're among the most potent offensive squads in the league, and I think one of those big totals early on may might have even been opening day was against the Eagles, the vaunted Eagles. The maybe unbeaten Eagles, not going to happen. They still have a couple of dates left in their division that will get them tripped up, maybe a couple of times. But uh, nonetheless, I, uh, I I like the Bears to cover the three. Let's talk about the best investments on the board. MVP odds change each week regularly in in all sports. Football, of course, no different. Josh Allen, who was the preseason favorite to win the MVP, uh, is now down. He's now the third favorite. Uh, I think he started at six to one, did Allen, but now he is, uh, and that was the, the best odds or the lowest odds. Now he's plus 350, three and a half to one. The favorite has become Patrick Mahomes, followed by Jalen Hurts. Mahomes is two to one. Hurts is, is, is plus 250. Um, and then Allen at, at plus 350. Lurking way in the back is your dual threat quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Do you think Lammy can do it again? He's nine to one. That's a nice ROI. It's a nice return on investment. To a tag of Iola is 11 to one. Don't you think media would love to cast a vote for Tua? with the dramatic video early in the year when he was experiencing extreme neurological trauma, lying on the ground with his fingers uncontrollably 
twisted in different directions. That was some scary stuff. And if Taglia Viola can manufacture a second half like he has played in the first half and make a run at it, that's not a bad investment. Not the best investment on the board, however. I'll get to come back right after a quick word about Depoy the defensive player of the year. This is guaranteed money as much as anything right now. If you don't mind losing $3 for every $1 you put down at bet rivers this morning, Micah Parsons of the Cowboys is minus three Oh five to win the defensive player of the year award. Minus three Oh five. I, I don't see any barring an injury. There's nothing that precludes Parsons from winning that award. He doesn't even have to duplicate in the second half what he's done in the first half. He has to just kind of just hold serve and, uh, you know, be close to that in terms of production. The Cowboys are going to be a playoff team, and he's a big part of the reason why. When they were going through the Cooper Rush experience, and while Rush played okay, in his, what, four starts? I think he won them all, um, or won three of them at least. Parsons was the guy, and he's he's still the guy. Nick Bosa is 10-1, to 1, and uh, then comes Miles Garrett and Matthew Judon of the Patriots, who's who's having a very, very good year, but I don't, I don't suspect enough people nationally are hip to Matthew Judon. The way they are, Micah Parsons, number 11 on Dallas, so I can keep Tony Romo alive. He likes to give those license plate numbers for defensive players because he doesn't know where they played college ball. The Comeback Player of the Year award is is not described very well by the league. It's it's voted on nationally by media members, and they, I looked at the history. The last 10 winners of this award all – were guys coming off of years that were either missed completely or severely truncated uh, because of injuries. Last year's Comeback Player of the Year award went to Joe Burrow, who missed most of his rookie year with the knee reconstruct. Uh, 2020, it was Alex Smith. And just putting on the damn uniform after what Alex Smith endured made him comeback player of the year for me. If you're into sports medicine and and or just medicine and stories about comebacks that are improbable, you should try to search the 30-30, 30 for 30 ESPN did on Alex Smith and the, the trauma, his leg, and all of his body endured the infections when he was coming back and near amputation, the fact that he put a uniform on again. Uh, just remarkable. Ryan Tannehill won the award in 19. Now, he started 11 games the previous year, but he did miss uh, with injuries. Andrew Luck in 18 was coming off of the entire 17 season, which he missed, and then he returns in 18 and throws 39 touchdown passes, so he wins comeback player of the year in 18. In 17, it was Keenan Allen, who had played only one game, in 2016, and then he has almost 1,400 receiving yards in 17. Jordy Nelson of the Packers won it in 16. He missed the entire 2015 season. Uh, preseason injury, right? Not even a contact injury in a preseason date. I think he was making a cut, running a route, making a cut, 
and he blew out his ACL and he returned the next year and uh, had 14 touchdown catches. Rob Gronkowski, I, I skipped Eric Berry. Sorry about that, Eric. He overcome, overcame cancer among injuries, played only six, game in, uh, six games in 2014. Eric Berry, the safety from KC. And then he wins the uh, comeback a year in 15. Gronkowski, who played only seven games in 2013, came back and caught a, a career-best 82 passes in 14 and he was the comeback player of the year. Philip Rivers in 13. Peyton Manning in 2012 after missing the entire 2011 season. So while a, a recovery from an injury is not a prerequisite, you could come back from bad performances or no performances in the case of this year's favorite. Right now, Geno Smith of the Seahawks is the favorite at Bet Rivers to win the Comeback Player of the Year award, so much that he's minus 125. Are you a believer in Pete Carroll's 6-3 and three Seahawks? Are you willing to, to bet Geno Smith can sustain his numbers for eight more games? His schedule isn't isn't that daunting. I looked at at the Seahawks remaining dates. They've got a few where he could get tripped or he could just get back to being Geno Smith. But here's a guy who was not, he's not coming off an injury. So he is going to have to maintain that level of, of it, of excellence. I think if he's going to win this award this time through, I got guys I like more and not the guy who's right behind Geno Smith. And that's, Saquon Barkley of the Giants, who is plus 120. That's a nice return. You want to make 20? Your investment guy calls you and says, hey, would you like to make 20%? I, I can't cash you out until mid-February when the NFL has its awards, the nice night before the Super Bowl, but I'm guaranteeing you 20%. You take that. You would take that. That's what Saquon Barkley play, uh, is paying right now, plus 120. And he's third in the league in rushing yards right now. The Giants' schedule is not that crazy good, nor should it be based on how they finished last year. This week they have the Texans, then they have the Lions, who don't defend. Then they've got to go to the Cowboys. Then they play the Commanders at home. They play the Eagles twice. There's the rub here for Saquon Barkley. They've got two dates left against the Eagles. They also have to play at Minnesota. I don't love Barkley for those reasons. You know who's leading the NFL in rushing yards right now? It's Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry is plus 1,300 to win comeback player of the year. If he wins the rushing title and I, I think he probably will, he might well be your next comeback player of the year award. And for $100, you could put 1300 in your pocket if you've got three months you could do without that 100 bucks. Not the one I like best, but I like it very, very much. Derrick Henry, 13 to 1 for comeback player of the year award. Christian McCaffrey is my diamond in the rough. 
Christian McCaffrey did something two weeks ago that's never been done. He had the hat trick for touchdowns. He threw one, he ran one, and he caught one. Never been done in the NFL. His impact on the 49ers has been immediate. Now, a few people forgot he got on the field when they lost in his first game there just a couple days after the trade and wasn't involved very much. I heard it suggested in one of these over-the-top talkers this week that his impact in this first game. Well, no, that wasn't his first game, the hat trick game. There was one prior to that when Carolina moved him. McCaffrey is plus 1,600 right now. I love that. I love Christian McCaffrey, who played in just seven games last year for Carolina, can be a comeback player of the year award within the season. Because he didn't do dick in in Carolina. Okay, it was a little bit more productive. But if you're a believer, if you really think Kyle Shanahan is the genius he thinks he is, go ahead and plunk down a lunch money move on Christian McCaffrey. That's the kind of guy the media would like to vote for. They'd like to vote for Geno Smith, too. But again, the history is more predicated on injuries than it is just not playing. And Geno Smith hasn't played enough to be hurt in missed seasons. His career started a long time ago and was a conclusive failure right out of the chute. And he has managed to keep an NFL check coming by wearing a baseball cap and holding a clipboard most of his 10-plus years in the NFL. Well, now he is getting a chance to play, and he's taking advantage of that but I don't believe those numbers are sustainable. I like one of the running backs to win the award. And based on 16 to one payoff, I like Christian McCaffrey of the 49ers 16 to one right now at bet rivers. Jimmy Ursay is nuts. The owner of the Indianapolis Colts. We, we learned a few years ago is absolutely out of his mind when he was pulled over and this is, I don't know, nine or 10 years old, but he was pulled over in Indianapolis, I believe. And he, they, they searched his trunk and I don't remember why they did a search, but they found a briefcase full of cash. What do you have 80 grand or something in cash in his trunk in a briefcase? Wonder where that was going. That's not a good optic for an NFL no- owner, but he is uh he's up to it this week in uh in something you don't see done in in football. You've seen it done in other sports. Larry Bird coached uh an NBA team without having done an apprenticeship as an assistant. Robin Ventura was hired by the White Sox a few years ago to be manager when he had no major league experience. He was coaching high school baseball. Well, the Colts did the same thing this week. After they fired Frank Reich, they go to 14-year veteran center, former center Jeff Saturday, number 64 in Colt white and blue. Um, DeForest Buckner, number 99, one of their better defensive players. He limped off the field. I'm not sure how, how healthy he is for the Colts' date this week, but he limped off against the Patriots last weekend. He says Saturday brings energy. And Saturday was defending his football knowledge with passion and with a smile on his face. I should note this week, he wasn't a dick about it, like so many of these muscle-headed coaches can be. 
He said, I was in that locker room for 14 years. I've been to the playoffs 12 times. I understand this game. I understand all the blah, blah, blah. That's all true. He understands the game. He understands elements of the game. He's never been a leader of men in this capacity, but he is confident in his ability to, uh, to, to lead men. This reminds me so much of the cries of Bears fans in years past. Before Mike Singletary ever fronted the San Francisco 49ers, you'd hear Meatball Bears fans on talk radio, why don't they hire Samurai Mike? He was the most studious of those 85 Bears. He watched more tape than any of those guys. And Dan Hampton, of course, always was being brought up to be the defensive line coach, or maybe you make Hampton the defensive coordinator and Steve McMichael could have coached the uh, defensive line. That's how a lot of fans think. And it's not a a particularly bright way of, of looking at business because a player who once starred in that uniform, that ensures him nothing other than uh, a longer honeymoon period with a fan base sooner or later people finally turned on Johnny jump shot John Paxson of the Bulls when he continued to prove he wasn't the right guy to run an NBA organization but he had a long goddamn leash before the wolves started howling for him because he was Johnny jump shot same thing with Dennis Savard when he fronted the Blackhawks and I was guilty of it because not only was I a fan of his as a players I was friendly with savvy we were pals um he invited me to his, his his first night celebration when he won his first game as Hawks head coach at Smith and Walensky's restaurant, uh, restaurant downtown, invited me to the private party there. So, so when they fired him, I was mad. And what they did was make the right decision because Joel Quenville, who succeeded him, wound up winning three cups and allegiance to the franchise is, is often silly. And, uh, Glad the White Sox avoided it recently by not hiring Jim Tomey or or Ozzie Guillen. Do the Ozzie Guillen movie again. How many ex-Bears, by the way, have, have grown into becoming really good head coaches at the college or professional level? I can think of three. Ron Rivera, head coach of the Commanders, who very well could be the next coach fired. And uh, there would be... There, there'd be some reasons for it. I, I will not criticize Snyder if he fires Ron Rivera. Ron has not gotten the job done there to the degree he was expected to. He's a two-time coach of the year with Carolina. Mike Singletary was a disaster as head coach of the 49ers. Can't do it. Can't win with him. He ruined the career of one of the most promising tight ends in the league in that era, Vernon Davis. Uh, wasn't he the reason Singletary wasn't Davis the reason Singletary pulled down his pants at halftime to show everybody his man root, show him how much of a man he is? What an idiot. Singletary, woof, woof, bears. Leslie Frazier, as a coordinator, has done very well in the NFL. Some say he deserves a second chance to be a head coach. Les was a DB on the 85 Bears. His knee was blown out in Super Bowl Twenty, and that ended his career. But uh, he, he didn't get a very long leash in Minnesota. But And Jim Harbaugh has succeeded at the college level. Also, he took the 49ers to a Super Bowl, by the way. So those are exceptions. Those are guys who served 
apprenticeships. Those are guys who were positional coaches, coordinators, college head coaches, several stops in the case of Harbaugh before he got his 49ers opportunity. Now back at alma mater, the University of Michigan could be playing for a national championship in about 10 weeks. But uh, way more often than not, these these guys who are brought back just because they were heroes when they wore the laundry, man, I'll be eager to see what the Colts can get out of Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday. Yes, he played his college ball at North Carolina. For Mac Brown, part of that 1997 Tar Heel team that captured my imagination. And why did they do that, Dan? Because they covered the damn spread. That's what we want ultimately, right? Doesn't that separate the good from the great? Covering numbers. Boston Red Sox owner John Henry um, has emerged as the favorite in some minds' eyes to wind up as owner of the Washington Commanders if, in fact, Daniel Snyder is either ousted, and that requires a huge vote by owners, and I'm not sure they'd get that because as much as they're annoyed by him and how he's threatening to friends of his earlier this season, the word gets out he's threatening to undo Roger Goodell, and he's got dirt on this guy, and I think they'd love to see, most of them would love to see him out. But when it comes to actually making the vote, we'll see if there's there's an ouster there. I think the league would love to see him just say, all right, you win. I, I've had enough. John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox, was um, was a part of the movie Moneyball in 2011. And if you've never seen Moneyball, don't go in, and you haven't seen it maybe because you don't like what mathematics have done to baseball. I, I, I'm not crazy about a lot of it either. It explains a lot of it to those of us who, in my case, were new to baseball math 10 years ago, or those of you who st- still don't understand it. Moneyball, Moneyball is a good entry level. It's, it's baseball in the 21st century 101, and it's very entertaining. Brad Pitt, as always, is fantastic. Jonah Hill... Um, who plays Paul D. Podesta, now the general manager of the Cleveland Browns, is very, very good. But there's an actor named Arliss Howard who you probably would recognize. I don't even know if I would say Howard has attained that guy level status. He was in Full Metal Jacket. He also was in The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Uh, he played Dr. Joseph Maroon in Concussion, who is a real asshole. Uh, he pushed back at anything regarding CTE science and uh, Dr. Benedict Malu in concussion played by Will Smith could not uh, get to get on the same page with Dr. Joseph Maroon, who he was part of that old boy NFL network. The game is goddamn glorious. Get away from our game. You take uh, two aspirin, tape it up and go play Arliss Howard in Moneyball as John Henry had one of the coolest lines, Bill, uh, Billy Bean, Pitt is talking to him about how they they tried to, baseball finally hired uh, Bill James, who had written the baseball math book, and baseball had hated him, and that's what fans had hated him. And people tried to denounce James as not being an expert. 
And Pitt says that to John Henry, who is wooing Pitt, Billy Bean, to be the GM of the Red Sox. And he says, yeah, baseball hates him. And John Henry, uh, again, this is played by Arliss Howard, my guy. He says, you know, one of the things that money buys you, it, uh, it buys you the ability to not worry about what baseball likes, what baseball hates what baseball doesn't want. And uh, Billy just laughed. He said, yeah, it must be nice. And that is one of the things that money can buy you when you're a multimillionaire or billionaire in these cases. Uh, John Henry then can run the commanders and thumb his nose at anybody who doesn't like what he wants to do, whether it's bringing more saber metrics into the NFL or, uh, or going back to the original logo. Who knows? what might be up the sleeve of a John Henry. And there's other names being mentioned, but I read today pro football talk. Mike Florio had a blurb about it, um, about how John Henry likely is, uh, is the favorite. I'm not very good at picking these games, but I am giving you the bears this week against the lions. I'm going to take the chiefs as a big favorite. They're laying nine and a half against the Titans this week. Um, Sunday night, interesting matchup between the 49ers and the Los Angeles Chargers. I guess the world, with me, is losing faith in the Chargers. We've pushed that move, that number, up to seven now. The 49ers are seven-point favorites. Why might I be inclined to take the Chargers? Man, is it because they're due? I, I, I don't know. It's difficult for me to get behind that team. I am behind Christian McCaffrey of the 49ers, however, because he is my pick at 16 to 1 to win the NFL Comeback Player of the Year Award. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back with Bears and Lions post notes and a week uh, 10 wrap up on Monday morning. Sam Michael is the executive producer of the Danny Mac podcast. And Adam Delavitt is Baby Capone. He's the man who makes it all happen for the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Have a great weekend of NFL. Good luck to your fantasy teams. Good luck to those of you who invest. And, you know, have fun this weekend. We're at the midway point. Do a parlay. You never know. Maybe things go your way. I'm Danny Mac. Have a great weekend. I'm out.